I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. On this edition, we're going to be looking back at that unbelievable game at Emirates Stadium. What a finish. Um, the Gunners coming from behind, not only to salvage a point, but to go on and win the game and restore that five-point lead that had been temporarily uh, closed uh, by Manchester City having won earlier on in the day. To say it was an emotional afternoon at the Emirates Stadium would be putting it lightly. To say um, that it was a roller coaster of emotions would be, I think, absolutely 100% fair. It was just a mind blowing afternoon. It's taken me ages to process what I witnessed in front of me um, at the Emirates Stadium. I honestly, I can't believe it because. You know, you're sitting there at 2-0 and you're thinking, well, if we can get a point, as I said in my sort of instant reaction video, if you can get a point, then at least you've turned what could have been a disaster into a bad afternoon rather than a disastrous one. But Arsenal just don't give up. Arsenal just don't stop. Arsenal are just relentless. They're desperate to win every single football match that they participate in. The passion, the fire, all of it. It is so amazing to see as a supporter. Um, obviously, I was working on the game for radio and, you know, as a broadcaster, I try uh, to be as professional as possible. I try my utmost to to be fair in my analysis of games, to paint the picture in the way that um, <laughs> that I should. And look, a lot of you are at the games or are watching the games and won't be listening to the work that I'm doing. But I thought the work that I did yesterday and and the way it all kind of unfolded. So uh, the reaction to the goal in real time um, and, of course, <laughs> uh, the report uh, at the end of the game. I wanted to share those with you. So I'm going to roll a very, very short clip. I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, let me know what you think in the comments. The afternoon of live football that we've had. Arsenal have maintained their five-point lead at the top of the Premier League table. Just. Odegaard's ball in. Headed away, Nelson on the edge of the box, takes it on the chest, try, Bruce Nelson's got it! Bruce sends the place into Raptors! Arsenal a 3-2 up! Harry Simeu um, breaking our equipment briefly, but we got him back and uh, he was there able to tell us that Arsenal with uh, coming from 2-0 down and Reese Nelson with a sumptuous volley, getting the win against Bournemouth. Uh, well, there is a win at the Emirates. Harry Simeu. It's Arsenal 3, Bournemouth 2, Reese Nelson, the substitute, is the hero. What a difference he's made since coming on. It was a corner from the right-hand side, headed clear. Reese Nelson picked it up on the edge of the box. He took it under control, and with his left foot, he powered a finish home into the far corner. The stadium erupted. The staff were on the pitch. The cameramen were on the pitch as well. That should be the last kick of the game. Surely now, Arsenal have won it. There it is, the full-time whistle. Arsenal have done it. That's what champions do. They've come from behind and won this game by three goals to two. Incredible scenes. <laughs> oh, my word. The voice broke. I went so loud on the goal that um, the, I, I, I went over the sound limit, which is why there's a little cut in the initial call for the goal. Um, the guys in the studio were texting me going, 
I don't know what happened. Like it was so bloody loud that um, he just cut out. But anyway, we got through it. Um, and then you can kind of hear, I think, the uh, the outpour of emotion uh, when the full time whistle goes. But I just wanted to share that with you guys. Um, yeah, as as professional and as neutral as ever. But listen, when a moment like that occurs in front of you, you just have to let go, don't you? You just have to let go. And yep, the voice broke. The equipment might have broke as well. Broke my glasses as well, which wasn't ideal. But hey, who cares, man? Who cares? Um, big, big game. Uh, big, big game and a big, big win for the Arsenal. I sort of tweeted in the build-up to the game that um, every single match for Arsenal right now feels like a cup final. Every single game for Arsenal has so much weight on it and there's a desperate, desperate need to pick up maximum points because of the quality of the sides that are chasing us. You know, we've all seen Manchester City uh, dominate for the last few years. Uh, we've all seen them, uh, you know, turn around bigger gaps than this one. So you can understand why there is that desperate need to win week in, week out. And you can understand why people um, sort of enjoyed uh, the game yesterday in the way that they did. Um, what I will say before we sort of dive into the game and start breaking it down uh, in a little bit more detail is when we got that corner or just before we got that corner that ultimately led to the Reese Nelson winner, I was sitting in the press box and I could see people to my left making their way out of the stadium, making their way up the stairs and towards the concourses in order to head for the exits. Now, listen, I'm not sitting here having a go at people, right? I'm not sitting here digging anybody out, but there is a but. I understand that there are people who, you know, have certain travel arrangements or, or need to catch certain trains. I know there are people that come from far and wide. I know there are people that need to get trains back up north, for example, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, I, I know that that's the situation for a lot of people, but how could you possibly live with yourself if you left that game early? Now, you might have had a genuine and valid reason to do so, but how could you possibly get over that? How could you get over missing a moment like that? It's unbelievable. And um, yeah, it didn't really dawn on me until a little bit later on uh, in the evening when I was kind of sitting there sort of processing what I'd just seen and what had just happened. But yeah, um, crazy, wasn't it? It was absolutely crazy the way it all came to a head in the end. Uh, thank you for all your kind comments uh, with regards to the commentary. Um, it, it wasn't even commentary, really, was it? It was me basically losing my shit um, live uh, on a radio broadcast. Um, uh, Alex Jones says, oh, my God, Harry, that commentary is hilarious. I'm sitting in a monkey maze for kids with headphones on and everyone is laughing at me, laughing at you. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah amazing if you're just joining us live now and you want to check out what i'm talking about do you know what maybe i'll give it another play at the end of the show as we sign out instead of the usual outro um i think it's probably more relevant this time around but anyway um quick reminder if you haven't done so already please uh, leave a like on the video uh, subscribe to the channel if your brand is spanking new um that really, really does help as well as we continue to grow, continue to push. Uh, if you are listening on the audio platforms, then please do leave us a review as well. Uh, I've been set a target of trying to get 100 reviews on uh, Apple Podcasts. I think we've got 96 now, uh, which is nowhere near good enough when you think about how many people listen to this and the numbers that we get and where we are in the charts, etc. So if you could please uh, do that, I'd be very, very grateful if that is your preferred um 
method of listening. But anyway, look, let's get into the game. Let's dive into it. Let's talk first and foremost uh, about the starting eleven that Mikel Arteta picked. There were three changes uh, from the side that started against Everton uh, in midweek. So uh, Thomas Partey came back into the midfield. Um, Fabio Vieira came in uh, alongside him to replace Granit Xhaka. And uh, Takahiro Tomiyasu came in at right back to replace Ben White. Now, I must admit, when I saw the changes, because I'd said in the preview and in the build-up to the game that I didn't really want to see any changes, that I wanted to see the same side, our best side, and I wanted us hopefully to be in a position where maybe later on in the game, depending on the game state, we could make changes, rest people, give others minutes, etc., etc. But I didn't want us to start with a different side. So when I saw these changes, I was a little bit like, mm, not sure about this. I've got to be honest. The Tomiyasu one, um, I must admit, pre-kickoff, I wasn't, that wasn't the one that jumped out at me. That wasn't the one that I went, oh, I'm not sure about this. Because we know that, you know, he's a very capable right back. And we know that, you know, at home to Bournemouth, um, or, or we felt at least at home to Bournemouth that, you know, he would be okay. So I wasn't massively concerned about that one. The Thomas Partey one was a given for me. It was always going to be the case that when Thomas Partey was fit enough to start a game that he would play from the start. And so Jorginho was always going to come out of the 11. Um, but the one that did surprise me a little bit was Granit Xhaka, Mr. Indestructible, being taken out of the starting 11 and replaced by Fabio Vieira. Now, I've talked recently about Xhaka's level just maybe dipping a little bit, not in the sense of he's so bad now we have to get him out of the team, but just in terms of him not being at the dizzy heights that he's been uh, throughout the duration of the campaign. It's undoubtedly been his best season in Arsenal colours, but there were just signs in the last two or three weeks that he was not quite uh, at the same level. So I wasn't massively surprised by it. And when you look at the fact that it was Bournemouth, with all due respect to Bournemouth, and how... Uh, you know, they were probably going to set up. You maybe thought that Fabio Vieira would would be better suited because of his uh, greater technical ability and, and ability to score goals and, and create moments. So, yeah, um, those that was kind of my feeling around the changes at the time. Um, not 100% sure about the Vieira one. Fine with Partey coming in. OK with Tommy Asu coming in. But it didn't really work out like that because I thought, when Tommy Asu came off, Arsenal went to another level. Um, you know, he just, I've said it before, Takiro Tommy Asu, fantastic defender, one-on-one -on -one defender. Um, confidence isn't, you know, at the highest because of some recent events. You know, he's been out in and out of the side. He's had to play second fiddle to Ben White for the majority of the season. And then if you go back to the Manchester City game at Emirates a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago, he made a really costly mistake that would have undoubtedly knocked his confidence. But the problem with Tommy Asu is not defensively, it's offensively. It's that when he gets into those forward positions, I don't believe he has the technical ability or the composure a lot of the time uh, to be impactful. I think he, he doesn't have that kind of calmness that Ben White has when he gets into those areas whereby he can look up, sometimes pick someone out. Um, I don't think the accuracy of his passing is as good as Ben White's, which means that sometimes it just takes Bukayo Saka an extra second, split second, to bring a ball under control that Tommy Asu's fed into him as opposed to Ben White. And that means that gaps can close uh, and advantages can be uh, diminished. So there's that. Um, and, and I just thought that you could really see that in the second half because the minute Ben White came on, Arsenal looked a much bigger threat down that right-hand side. And you weren't only looking at Bukayo Saka 
to make something happen. You were looking at Ben White as well because he could get into those advanced areas. And for me personally, there was more trust in him to A, make the right decision, but then execute whatever it was that he had decided to do uh, to a much higher standard and to a much higher level. So that's where I am at on the on the changes and then the substitutions that followed and the impact they had. We're going to come on and talk about Reese Nelson um, a little bit later on, uh, and we'll do all of that. We'll talk about Emil Smith Rowe as well because uh, I think we kind of need to. Uh, but let's start off with the first goal. Um, Bournemouth scoring within ten seconds. I don't even think it was ten seconds. When I glanced up at the clock in front of me, um, I think I made it about eight or nine seconds or whatever it was, but. Kickoff comes, and if you watch it again, I thought actually Bournemouth were pretty smart in the way they did this because what they did was set up in a way where it looked as though they were going to play the ball back into midfield and then they were going to send a long diagonal ball out towards the left flank. That's where they'd overloaded players in terms of the way they were set up. Now, I've seen lots of people point out uh, post-match and, and maybe a few were sort of saying it at half time as well, that actually what happened was... Um, there was three players in Bournemouth colours inside our half at the kickoff and they gained an unfair advantage. I agree with that. Look, strictly speaking, looking at the rules, yeah, of course, you can see it. The imagery shows us that those three players did encroach. But at the end of the day, Arsenal still have to defend that situation far, far better. They were done by a clever piece of, um, of play from Bournemouth. As I say, they set up in a way where it looked like they were going to ping the ball out to the left wing, try and create an overload over there. And what they did instead was play the ball out to the right. They had space there because Arsenal had concentrated on dealing with the other side. Um, and when the cross came in, I think there's a catalogue of errors before it ends up at the feet of Philip Billing, who turns it in from close range. Arsenal caught napping from the off. And you can't afford to be caught napping at any point in this division. I've said it time and time again. It's why I don't sit here and say Arsenal are champions. Arsenal are going to go and win the league. Because I know that if you're not at your best, if you're anything below your best at any given point, in any given game against any given opponent in this division, there is the possibility that you will get punished. Sometimes you need to ride your luck and hope that in those moments you don't, um, you know, you don't feel that or, or you don't get punished by that and you don't uh, get made to pay for those lapses. But you can't afford to have them from kickoff. I thought that was really, really poor from Arsenal. But having said that, when the goal went in, yes, I was annoyed and I was frustrated and I was a little bit deflated about it. But I wasn't sitting there thinking, oh, my God, this is fatal. We're done. You know, I'd seen Arsenal just a few days ago at Emirates Stadium. Have to be patient, struggle a little bit at the beginning. But having found the breakthrough against Everton, completely blowing them out of the water. And I, I wasn't worried. Um I wasn't worried at all um, about the game at that point. But obviously, as the clock ticks and as as the game progresses and you're, you're struggling to create clear-cut chances, you're struggling to make opportunities, you start to worry more and more. We go in at the break and I'm sitting there thinking, OK, uh, we're going in at the break. We're a goal behind. There's plenty of time to turn this around. Let's not panic. I made my way back to my seat and I saw Ben White standing in front of the tunnel. He was obviously ready to come on. And I thought, yeah, do you know what? Probably not the substitution that Mikel wanted to make. I think Mikel in an ideal world would have given Ben White a full rest, but clearly recognised that we were going to need a little bit more uh, in the wide areas if we were going to penetrate this Bournemouth defence. They packed out the middle. I mean, how many times did Martin Odegaard pick up the ball uh, sort of around the edge of their penalty area and try and fashion the space uh, for a shot and see that effort blocked? 
Bournemouth have done an incredibly good job of being compact and defending the central areas really, really effectively. Um, and, and you could see it as well. So I could see Gary O'Neill in his dugout constantly making this gesture uh, to his players, which was to say, guys, focus on the core, focus on the centre of the pitch here, focus on the middle third. If you split it up in threes, focus on that middle third, because that's where we're at most risk. And if you can do that, then, you know, you stand a good chance. You've got to defend the crosses that come in when you force them wide. And we've talked about it time and time again. Arsenal don't have that big dominating centre forward. You know, Arsenal don't have Gabby Jesus at the moment and they don't have Eddie Nketiah at the moment either. It was Leandro Trossard who started the game through the middle, although again, that was quite fluid between him and Gabriel Martinelli as to who was central and who was left. But um, yeah, you started to worry a little bit. And then when Bournemouth go and get the second goal, um, you know, you're you're sitting there fearing the worst. Well, I was anyway. 57 minutes on the clock, um, just over half an hour to go, and you're now 2-0 down. And again, Arsenal getting caught out from a set piece. Now, I know we've picked up results in recent weeks, and that has maybe papered over the cracks a little bit and has maybe put a stop to this conversation being had. But Arsenal... The way they've defended set pieces in recent weeks has been poor, like really, really poor. We've got a set piece coach who's come in and has clearly made a difference uh, offensively in that sense, made a, a difference defensively as well because of the results that we were showing in that particular department or area uh, prior to this last five, six weeks. But something's gone wrong. I don't know what it is. Is it individuals losing concentration? I think that's probably more like the cause then it being the way that we're setting up for these, because when that delivery comes in uh, from Bournemouth's left-hand side, I think it's Thomas Partey that loses Sinesi. He gets across the front post and he powers a header down into the bottom corner. It's a great header. It's a great finish. And um, at that point, as I say, I was fearing the worst. I was thinking, my God, like, you know, we, we, we got this five point lead. We, we talked so much about this game in hand. We finally had it. We won it. We get ourselves into the position that we want to be in. And Manchester City, who had come up against a, a Newcastle side that I must admit, I, I didn't think we're going to go and win at the Etihad. But there was a tiny part of me that thought, given how strong they can be defensively, they could potentially go there and frustrate and maybe nick a point. And actually, when Manchester taking it to the Man City game for a second, when Manchester City were a goal to the good, um, Newcastle, I thought at the start of the second half, actually played quite well and made a couple of opportunities. There was a really good opportunity in the first half as well that fell to Callum Wilson. Nine times out of ten, he hits the target there and he just got it horribly, horribly wrong. So when City then go and get the sucker punch second goal that ultimately kills off the game, you know, you feel deflated at that point, but then you you try and put that to one side and you say, no, you know, we're five points clear, not them. We don't have to worry about them. They have to worry about us. So you're thinking, just go out there, do the job, do the business, get our three points on the board and we don't have to really concern ourselves by Manchester City. But at that point, when you're 2-0 down, you are concerned by Manchester City. You are concerned about the fact that they've closed that gap and you don't look like you're going to be able to restore it. So 57 minutes on the clock, my my mentality, my mindset shifted. Um, it was no longer about winning this football match, which at 1-0 it was. At 1-0, I still felt that we could turn it around. But at 2-0, as I said right at the top of the show, for me, it was about turning a disaster into a bad afternoon. So trying to kind of limit the damage that we've done by just simply not being at it. Um, 
you know, so yeah, that was that was kind of my thinking at that point. And then Arsenal get the first. Um, Emil Smith-Rowe, to his credit, keeping the situation alive, heading it back into the far post area. There was actually a, a foul on Ben White there as well, um, which I wonder if it would have been picked up had that Thomas Partey not put the ball in the back of the net because the VAR yesterday was having an absolute shocker. Now, I know in the heat of the moment, you appeal for everything and you try for everything and you feel as though every decision is in massive injustice against your side. But genuinely, I've come home and watched all of those calls, all of those decisions. Arsenal could have had, in my opinion, at least two penalty kicks yesterday and got none of them. Three penalties, probably, if you include the foul that I've just mentioned that clearly took place on Ben White as the ball fell to Thomas Partey. The reason nobody's talking about that is because Arsenal have, you know, gone out, come from behind. An academy product in Reese Nelson, who's been out in the cold for a little while, has come in uh, as as lit up the place, has scored the winning goal, sent the place into raptures. That supersedes any talk about the VAR and the referees and the officiating. But my God, the standard of officiating in this league is so poor that we cannot continue to ignore it. Something has to be done. Tom says in the chat, and I think this is spot on, what on earth constitutes a handball these days? Nobody knows, mate. And that's the bloody problem here. You know, we saw all types of handballs yesterday. We saw players blocking shots with their arms. We saw uh, Philip Billing, I think it was, pretty much on the goal line, blocking a Gabriel header that was going towards goal. Nothing given. Okay, the distance wasn't very big, but weren't we told at the start of the season that if it's blocking the ball going towards goal, then yeah, it's a pen. Like I thought that was the directive given. Obviously not. Um you know, the, the foul on Ben White, OK, we can push that one to one side because we went on to score a goal from it. But, you know, there's players jumping up to head the ball clear. I think it was Mepham in the first half, completely misses the header. That's not accidental. That's you poorly judging where the ball is coming. You've missed the header. It's come off your arm. Just nobody knows what constitutes a handball um, these days. And as you say, Tom, and that's the big, big problem here. Um, it's a big, big problem. Um, Andre says none of them were penalties the same way as the Gabby situation versus Liverpool wasn't a penalty. I disagree with that. And the reason I disagree with that is not because of one incident in isolation, right? I think that, I think that the Gabby one, you know, you couldn't have been sure at that moment in time. Um, but in this instance, we saw three or four different types of handball, if you like, none of which were penalised. So what the hell is a handball these days? I, I, I don't know. Somebody needs to tell me. Um, somebody needs to explain to me. Uh, there was also the other one that I completely missed to, uh, sort of from mentioning. Verminatoro says Stevens blocking Saka's cross with a hand and pushing the ball onto the post. Another one. You know, how many were there yesterday? And, and you can understand um, why Arsenal fans were feeling frustrated. But listen, I don't want to dwell on that too much. We all know the standard of officiating in the Premier League is in the bin. We all know that it needs to improve. We can talk about that until the cows come home. So I've mentioned Partey uh, getting the goal back and then Arsenal just seemed to spark into life for me. You know, the minute that that Thomas Partey goal went in, it wasn't the biggest celebration when that goal went in. Thomas Partey quite understated in the way he celebrated that goal, picking up the ball, running back to the halfway line. We go again. When the second one went in, or, or just prior to the second one going in, which was only eight minutes after the first, I think that's when the place really took off. That's when the place really kind of picked up in terms of the mood and the atmosphere. Um, 
wonderful work from Reese Nelson on the left-hand side. Uh, ball coming out to the left. Um, he works the space for the cross. He plays it across the six-yard box. And at the far side of the six-yard box arriving was Ben White. Now, if there was ever one moment to highlight the difference between Ben White and Tommy Asu um, in that right-back position, that was it for me. That was it for me. Because, first of all, Ben White has the presence of mind to to understand and read that something could come for him if he takes that gamble and makes the run into that space. So that's the first part. The second part is that even though Neto got something on that, Ben White has the technical ability and the calmness and coolness in that situation to not try and smash the ball and not try and uh, put his foot through it and end up skewing it over the top of the crossbar, but to simply recognise that what he needs to do first and foremost is guide the ball on target. The power is in the cross and Ben White understands that and and just steers it goalwards, knowing that if he hits the target, there's a good chance that he scores because of the way the goalkeeper's coming back across his goal. And I must admit, at first glance, I couldn't tell that it was over the line. I wasn't quite at the right angle uh, to be able to tell that. But I looked straight at, um, at the referee because... Uh, obviously, there were a lot of appeals around the area in which the incident occurred. Um, and when I saw him point to his watch, I I, I went crazy. 2-2, um, Arsenal are back in this. And there is plenty of bloody time for Arsenal to go on and win that. The momentum and the pendulum had completely swung the other way. And you felt now that Arsenal could go on and win this. But as the game developed, as the game went on, um, you know, as the game progressed, I must admit, when we got into stoppage time and Bournemouth started to run down the clock even further, which, listen, people will have a go at Bournemouth about it. Fine. Um, for me, it's on the officials to deal with it. Neto was booked for time wasting or complaining, whichever one it was. Yet there was never any threat from the referee to go and sort of show a second yellow card when he was clearly taking the piss later on. And that's the problem here. You know, we've got the means to deal with these situations. We've got the rules in place to be able to punish players when they uh, push those boundaries. Yet no referee has the cojones in this division to go up to someone who's clearly time-wasting, who's deliberately time-wasting, who's placing a ball down for a goal kick and then picking it up again and moving it to the other side of their six-yard box. Nobody has got the cojones to go up and say, no, you know what, mate, enough is enough. And once referees start doing that, I guarantee you, it will be a deterrent for people like Neto who were trying to get away with absolute murder yesterday. But that's never going to happen, unfortunately, because, you know, it, it, yeah, it, it's it's yeah, it's too much. Um, it frustrates me. It drives me crazy. And as I said about Everton, who came here and, and tried uh, to play very little football, um, you know, I, I love it when teams that take that approach end up empty handed because that's ultimately what they deserve. Nothing. Um, and, uh, you know, Bournemouth are down at the bottom of the league. I don't really have a massive issue, um, with the way Bournemouth approached the game. As I said to you guys, as an official, you are the one that's responsible for stamping that out, not Bournemouth. They're going to do everything they can to try and get the points and they're going to do everything they can, um, you know, to, to try and potentially get the result they want. It's on the officials to make sure that that stops and it's on the officials to take control of that. And they never did. He never did, which was really frustrating. Um, so then anyway, you, you get to stoppage time. And I must admit, 
I thought it was done. I thought that it was going to be a draw. Frustrating afternoon. Uh, gap closed, but to three points. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Other than two, uh, which is, I guess, the cloud, uh, you know, or guess the silver lining in the clouds that you're looking for uh, in that situation. I was trying to convince myself of why this wasn't a disastrous afternoon in the title race, but then it just kept coming back in my mind. This is Bournemouth, you know, this is a side that are 19th in the division that are probably going to get relegated, that we should be making light work of. And instead we've, um, we've managed to drop two massive points here. And then we forced that corner right at the end. And I didn't believe you know, I didn't. And when the corner come in and it got cleared the way it did and come out to Reese Nelson, you know, I'd be lying if I said I expected Reese Nelson to do what he did. But when he did, oh my word. Oh my word. My head exploded. The place exploded. I've never seen anything like it. The Emirates was literally bouncing. There was staff running on the pitch. There was players running on the pitch. You've all seen the videos. There was cameramen running on the pitch. Mikel Arteta in his press conference referenced that random kid that appeared next to him uh, as he was celebrating. It was just incredible scenes and it, it, it felt like a massive moment in the title race. I've had rival fans, uh, friends of mine and, and just sort of randomers on Twitter that got nothing better to do come at me because of, of a post that I put out this morning where I said... Um, you know, for me, uh, you know, having been reporting on Arsenal this season, having been lucky enough to be uh, at lots of games and stuff and, and doing them for the radio, as you guys heard earlier on in the show, um, I said, I've woken up with the exact same smile I had on my face at the full-time whistle. Hands down, the best moment I've reported on the quality of the strike, the eruption inside the stadium and the psychological victory that it represented just perfect. That was what I tweeted. And I had people going, oh, Arsenal fan, how sad, how far have you guys fallen that your best moment was against Bournemouth? No, nobody's saying that it's because we beat Bournemouth. It's because of the psychological victory that it represents, as I said in that post. And it's because of the drama of the whole thing. You know, I haven't been on the radio for a long, long time. This isn't like, this is not someone with a 20, 25 year career who can look back on amazing moments. You know, I've done... Loads of League One games, loads of League Two games, with all due respect. This, for me, covering my team is special. And to be able to do that this season has been an absolute honour and a privilege. And to be able to call that moment uh, was just something that I, I dreamed of, that kind of moment. Yeah, you want bigger ones. You want Champions League finals. You want Premier League title deciding games. This could be a title deciding game in an indirect way come the end of the season. So, yeah, for me, it was special. And uh, and for those that want to criticise, well, they can, yeah, you know what they can do. Uh, let's take um, a couple more uh, of your comments and then uh, we'll do a little bit more discussion. We will do a question section a little bit later on in the show as well. Um, thank you for your kind Super Chat donations, uh, Sam and Diraj. I'm going to come to those in just a second. But if I could quickly remind you guys, if you haven't done so already, please do leave a like on the video. 
Uh, there's nearly 600 of you with us live right now across the different platforms. 118 likes on the board. I want to set a target of 300 likes. Uh, so please do like, 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 subscribe uh, if you haven't done so already. Uh, check out our membership proposition on another slice where you can get access to additional content. The player ratings will be available for you as soon as you finish uh, this show. So um, head over there. Uh, and yeah, you know the drill by now. I feel like I say it all the time. I'm bored of saying it, but like, subscribe, all of that. It really does make a difference. Um, Sam says, we have belief uh, to spare. Arteta is not just a great manager. This man is a geneticist. I'm obsessed with this team again. It's um, it's amazing how different the feeling is around Arsenal Football Club. You know, whatever goes on to happen between now and the end of the season, I think you have to you have to give Mikel Arteta immense credit and his staff as well and these players for just lifting the mood of the whole football club. You know, I talked earlier on about people that left the game early and how they could ever live with themselves after doing such a thing uh, when there was a conclusion like that to follow, but. The truth of it is that looking around the stadium in comparison to what I might have seen two years ago, the stadium was still 98% full. Whereas in the past, at that point in a game that looks like it's fizzling out into a draw, you probably would have seen the majority uh, of fans having headed for the exits already. And, and some of them would have probably already been sitting on the Piccadilly line. Like, But for me, you know, it was it was good to see that. Although for those few that missed it, shame on you. Uh, but anyway, look, it's it's just a sign of how we've progressed and how we've developed as a football club. And 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 that mood and atmosphere carries us through moments like the one we came up against yesterday. You know, Reese Nelson takes that ball down and he and he's got the confidence and belief to hit it towards goal because those are the moments that young footballers dream of. The moment that you come off of the bench and you impact the game and the level of impact that he had, we'll talk about him in just a second in, in more detail. Um, but the level of impact he had yesterday is the stuff that you dream of as a kid and um, and fair play to him. Uh, dear Raj, also, thank you so much uh, for your um, for your uh, donation as well. He says sleeves are now considered not hand. Uh, the foul on Tommy Asu looked the pen, but no appeal from him. I wasn't sure about the Tommy Asu one. I feel like the player maybe just pulled out uh, just just in the nick of time to avoid any uh, sort of serious um, uh, any sort of serious action being taken in the form of a penalty, for example. Um, lots of uh, salty rival fans in the chat as well, I can see. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, Nobby Clark says, honoured to be part of that yesterday. What an atmosphere. Yeah, it was amazing, wasn't it? Albert, uh, given... Uh, Albert, a big shout out. Go over to his channel uh, by clicking on his name. You should be able to find it. He says, uh, Harry, if I saw you yesterday, I would have given you the biggest bear hug ever. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was a moment, wasn't it? Uh, Russ Morgan says, um, it's never over till it's over. Um, yeah, amazing. Uh, amazing. Uh, just... Not because it's Bournemouth. Let's be clear about that. But because Arsenal looked as though they were going to slip up and lose vital points in the title race. And instead, they could, they carried on. They kept pushing. They kept pressing. Um, and they uh, they got what they, they deserved from the game. I mean, let me just show you guys some of the statistics. So I knew we dominated the game, obviously, sort of having been there and having covered it. But when I got home and 
sort of started to deep dive into the statistics a little bit more. See, normally at the end of a game, when I finish broadcasting a game, uh, what I'll do is I will start to sort of type up some sort of wrap up. Now, I won't type word for word, but I will because, you know, you might have a word for word wrap up to a game and the presenter might ask you a question to start you off, which throws you off of what you plan. But I do like to make some points that I want to bring up. And normally I do that. And one of the first things I do is I go and look at the statistics from the game and I try to draw some conclusions from that and use them to back up the points that I'm making with regards to how I think the game went. But yesterday I didn't even look at this because I was so excited. I was, I, I was so overwhelmed by emotion. I didn't really know, um, how to kind of process it and and if you listen to what I said sort of after the game 15 20 minutes after the full-time whistle I wasn't talking about how the game went I was talking about the emotion of it all the moment uh the Reese Nelson moment but going back to these statistics Arsenal had 80 percent of the ball 80 percent of the ball 31 shots at goal nine of which were on target 17 corners in comparison to Bournemouth's one that is dominance. And so you can sit and say that Arsenal were fortunate, as I'm sure some people would do. You can say that Arsenal were lucky. Nah. Arsenal got exactly what they deserved out of that game. And that was all three points. Unbelievable scenes. What a way to do it. And, you know, as a manager, you you don't want games like that, right? Yes, the moments are amazing and you'll remember them forever. But as a manager, when you set out... Uh, to go and play a game of football, you do not want your team to go 2-0 down. You do not want your team to leave it until the 97th minute to find an equalising, uh, to find the winning goal, I beg your pardon. It's not what you want. It's not what you set out for. But in a weird way and in a strange way, winning like that can be more powerful than winning 1-0 comfortably or winning 2-0 comfortably or even winning 4 or 5-0 because of the adrenaline rush that it gives you and it makes you feel invincible as a group of players. If you know that, you know, even when it's when even when there's 96 minutes on the clock, you're still not done and you still have something to say and you can still affect or impact the game. That gives you an incredible feeling as a group of players and that can help you um, over the line in, in moments and in situations like the one we found ourselves facing yesterday. So huge, you know, massively significant. Let's talk about a few players and then we'll do uh, some Q and A. So uh, if you've got some Q and A, um, if you've got some, well, you, you're not going you're not going to have Q and A. You're going to have Qs, hoping to get the A. Um, you're not going to have Qs and As. If you've got some Qs uh, that you want to pop into the chat, start doing that now. Put a little Q at the beginning of the question because it helps me to pick them out in and among the chaos that is the live chat. So please do uh, start dropping some of those in. But there was a few players that I wanted to talk about. I want to talk about Reese Nelson. Um, I mean, he's been out in the cold for so long. He's been uh, injured. He's had a problem there that has, I think, hindered his progress because obviously after the Nottingham Forest game, it looked really promising with Reese. Um, you know, in similar circumstances, he had to come on to, to replace someone who was injured. He came on and did an excellent job, scored a couple of goals that day. Fantastic. Then he picked up an injury. Um which um, obviously kept him out for a period of time. But since returning from that injury, obviously he's found more players in his way now. You know, Smith Rowe's back in the picture. Uh, Martinelli's back on form. Saka's obviously playing in those wide areas as well. And then you add on to that 
um, the uh, the addition of Leandro Trossard, what that's done is uh, put him further down the pecking order. And in recent times, he's not even been in the squad. And Mikel Arteta alluded to that in his post-match press conference. You know, he said, I always knew he had the talent, the ability, et cetera, et cetera. But I just felt that we had different options. And look, you can't overload the bench with only attacking options. You need that balance. But for him to come on yesterday, having played so little first-team football of late and producing the way he produced. And, and I'm not just talking about that one moment. I'm talking about the, the entire sort of impact that he had on the game because he didn't just do it for one moment. He didn't just come on and, you know, all of a sudden, bang, uh, you know, he has his one touch. It's a, it's a wonderful finish and that's it. He sends the stadium into raptures. He came on after 69 minutes. So that whole 26 minute period, if you include the stoppage time, Reese Nelson was incredibly effective, incredibly effective. He was taking people on. Whenever we worked the ball out to the left-hand side, you stood up in anticipation. Um, I was probably the only guy in the press box standing up because that's not really the thing that you're supposed to do. But, you know, I was in the back row. Uh, the broadcasting is in uh, section is in the back row. So you can stand up without getting in anyone's way. And obviously when the ball goes down the left, when we're attacking the North Bank and all the crowd stands up, you do have to lean a little bit to see. So I was just, I think the last... 15 minutes of the game, I was literally just standing up the whole time. And, um, you know, but you could see from the crowd alongside me that Reese Nelson was was getting people up off their feet every time he got the ball and, and sort of threatened. I've already spoken about the brilliant work he did in the build-up to the second goal, um, to the equalising goal. Um, wonderful work down the left-hand side. And then to have that calmness and composure, I've talked a lot about composure today, not to snatch at the opportunity that came his way right at the death and to just make sure he strikes it clean, strikes it true and keeps it on target. That is just, yeah, unbelievable, man. It's honestly, it's just, when you think about that, like imagine where he must be mentally right now. He must be on cloud nine to have produced a moment like that. And, and what a message that sends to the manager as well. You know, clearly Mikel Arteta, for all the wonderful things he's done this season, has is not really always felt that Reese Nelson is a good option or is a better option than some of the alternatives, and and probably needed a bit of convincing. You know, Mikel looked at Emil Smith Rowe, whose performance I thought was really poor, by the way, and and I don't want to dig him out because, you know, we're talking about a guy that's been out for a long, long time. We're talking about a guy that's been out for what four or five months, has come back into the picture. Clearly, is rusty. Clearly, has a long way to go in terms of getting his fitness back up to the level required. Um, but Emil Smith-Rowe was completely ineffective. I know Mikel in the press conference kind of defended him a little bit saying, you know, I thought his, his game was good and I thought he had an impact. I thought he had zero impact, if I'm being honest. I thought he was really, really poor. Um, and, and that's where, again, you know, yes, Reese Nelson's come on and proven to the manager um, that maybe you were wrong to overlook me and that I am someone who... Um, you know, should be in the side more and, and should play a bigger part. But Mikel deserves credit as well for having the the cojones, I'll use that word again, to say, yeah, um, you know what? I will um I will take off the sub. I will take off the sub and I will bring on someone else because at this moment in time, the sub is not giving me uh what I need. People in the comments are saying, Oh, Emil Smith Rowe got an assist uh for the Thomas Partey goal. There are assists and there are assists, right? So if you dribble past 
two players and you put the ball on a plate for someone, for me, that's an assist. Emil Smith-Rowe, the ball comes out to him on the edge of the box and he headers it back into the danger area. I'll give him credit for that. Um, I'll, I'll give him credit for that, for sort of recognising that that's the area in which he should put the ball. But I, I don't think he had an impact on the game. I'm sorry. I think if that was... Uh, Zinchenko there on the edge of the box. I think if that was Reese Nelson there on the edge of the box, I think if that was Martinelli there on the edge of the box, they'd all do the same thing. So that's why I'm not sort of going to get carried away by that contribution. It just, for me, it's kind of right guy in the right, or, or kind of right place, right time, more than, um, you know, a, a wonderful piece of play or thinking from Emil Smith-Rowe, who outside of that moment, as I've said, I thought offered very, very little, very little. And that's the reality. It's not, you know, I don't understand why people want to get so defensive. Like you can say that Emil Smith-Rowe had a bad game yesterday um, without saying he's crap and he's finished and he shouldn't be part of this Arsenal team moving forward. I just didn't think he was very good. It's my opinion on him. Um, well, not on him, on his performance yesterday. I thought Thomas Partey was was magnificent, wasn't he? Magnificent uh, in midfield as well. Um Fabio Vieira maybe could have done a little bit more. I thought the circumstances were difficult. I thought the space in which he wanted to operate was shut out um, quite effectively. But yeah. Um, yeah, I guess those are the players that I, I kind of really want to highlight. Um, some of you suggesting that maybe Emil Smith-Rowe's positioning on the left-hand side didn't help him. Some prefer to see him through the middle. Mikel Arteta clearly... Um, doesn't mind playing him from the left. He did that quite a bit at the start of last season, didn't he? Uh, before he picked up that injury. But yeah, um, yeah, that's where I'm at uh, with it. A uh, couple of people were talking about Jorginho's uh, impact from the sidelines. He was right into it, wasn't he? Uh, sort of coaching people. He'd finished his warm up, but he stood there and he continued to encourage. And again, we go back to the character. We talk about the types of characters that Mikel likes and the type of players that he wants to have in and around the place. Jorginho is one of them, and you could see that yesterday. Uh, even without being involved on the field, he was incredibly involved off of it, which um, which helped. You know, I'm not saying it was the difference, but it helped. Uh, but yeah, I can't believe that the the, uh, the disgust in the um, in the comments I made uh, about Emil Smith wrote. Yeah, he got the assist. Happy days, and that will be on his record come the end of the season when people look back statistically and try and make their judgments. I just don't think for the, what, he came on, was it 22 minutes in? He came on 22 minutes in and he went off after just under 70. So he played, what, around about 50-odd minutes. Um, yeah, all right, just shy of 50 minutes, 47 minutes, whatever it was. He did not impact the game with the exception of that one moment where he headed it back into the danger area. Fair play to him for doing that. You know, I think other players would have probably done the same in that situation because I don't think there was an awful lot of thought in that. Um, some might disagree and that's fine. But I just, on his performance overall, um, I thought it was pretty poor. And, and if you really strongly disagree with me, um, then uh, you probably don't want to listen to my player ratings show on another slice. But the, yeah, look, this is, the, this is the thing. James says, Smith Rowe is just coming back. Give him time, Harry. I've literally said that I know he's out for, he was out for a long time. And I know that this was a game that he probably wasn't expected to play a major part in, but he had to because of the circumstances. I'm not writing the guy off. I'm not saying 
that he uh, is a bad player. I've gone on record as saying that in terms of natural ability, I think he's as good as, if not better than Bukayo Saka, but his body just isn't allowing him to fulfil that at the moment. And my problem with him yesterday was was the fitness level more than anything else. But anyway, um, he had some impact. I'll concede that to you guys, but yeah. Uh, Raphael says, uh, did you hear anything about Trossard's injury? Nope. Um, as far as I know, uh, when he was tracking back, he felt uh, something go muscular. Uh, problem um, is uh, is what the uh, initial feeling is, but the extent of the injury remains to be seen. I'm sure uh, we'll hear a little bit more about that um, later on. Uh, what else have we got in the chat box? Um, people arguing with each other. Come on, guys, grow up a little bit. We just won. What's the problem? Um, let's take a few more of your comments. Oh, my God. Justice for Emil Smith-Rowe, uh, says Andre. <laughs> uh, John St. Ledger says, um, availability is the best ability. Emil Smith-Rowe needs to stay fit. Now, I completely agree with that. Um, you know, he does need to stay fit. Um, he does need to... He does need to... Um, to sort of build up his fitness and, and start working his way back towards the level that we know he can play at because he is a fantastic footballer. I've always said that, but he just, for me, isn't quite um, there in terms of the physical side and, and that's going to be a problem. Uh, Name says, thoughts on Partey? I think he was at fault for both goals. I certainly thought he was at fault for the second. Um, I think the first one, I think as a collective, we have to do better. I don't really want to point the finger um, solely at Thomas Partey for the first goal because I think everybody was switched off. Everybody fell asleep. Nobody expected what was coming, and um, and yeah, we um, we we got undone by that. And, and and I thought we got undone as a team because there were plenty of opportunities for Arsenal to deal with that situation, and they just didn't. Um, let's take this one from O'Melly, who says thoughts on Jesus doing the warm down with the team at the end of the game. Yeah, if you haven't seen this, so as we were kind of packing up our stuff. Um, at the end of the game, the players had sort of emerged to to undergo a bit of a warm down. And if you've seen one of those at Arsenal recently, they tend to be like little training sessions. They, you know, in the past, you'd see players come out and do a warm down and they'd literally jog from one side of the pitch to the other, do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But this was a proper exercise and Gabriel Jesus was involved. And I thought he might be involved in some way, shape or form because when the third goal went in and then the final whistle went shortly after that, I saw him down by the tunnel in his sliders and shorts. And I'm thinking, mate, it's freezing. Uh, it's the beginning of March in London. Why the hell would you be wearing shorts and sliders uh, if you're not involved in something? So I did wonder when I saw that. And then we saw him emerge and take part in that, which is a sign that he's working his way back to fitness and that as Mikel Arteta said the other day, he's not that far away. Not that far away. Uh, let's take a few more of these uh, before we uh, start to wrap up. Um, hold on a second. Uh, William Salibak to the top of the league. I like that name. Harry, Reese has better stats this season than Anthony, despite playing 85 minutes in the league. Is he worth 100 mil? What do you expect to happen regarding his contract situation? Um, very few players are worth 100 mil in world football to me. So I'm not going to sit here and say that he's worth um, 100 mil. But 
you know, it's encouraging to see him be able to impact games. A couple of times now this season in the Premier League, he's been called upon and he's had the desired effect. So, yeah, I'd be open to keeping him. Um, the other thing, though, is with Reese Nelson, like how how much does he want to stay at Arsenal? Now, he'll always tell you that it's his club, that he loves the club he's been in since he was a kid. And for him, that means everything. But he's got to think about his career as well. And if he's going to have three or four players in front of him all the time, and he's only going to get opportunities when the circumstance dictates he does, then you can understand why he may want to move on. And, and I wouldn't begrudge him feeling that way. But I think Arsenal should try and keep him. I really, really do. I think, um, you know, he's he's taken a little bit longer maybe to mature uh, then some of the other Halen boys, you know, Saka, for example, being the standout one uh, in terms of how he's developed. But Reese Nelson's clearly very talented. And um, yeah, I've got no issue if Arsenal uh, decide to go out and offer him a new contract and manage to keep hold of him. But yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. OK. Um, yeah. Do you know what? I think we're going to leave it there. Um, I'll just kind of summarise a uh, wonderful afternoon at the Emirates in the end. Uh, they really put us through it. They stressed us out. Uh, credit to Bournemouth for putting up a really good fight. Uh, they capitalised on our moments of weakness defensively and defended very well for the most part of the game. But Arsenal in the end just had too much for them and um, and they couldn't do anything about it. Um, but yeah, look. It could prove significant. It could prove huge uh, in the context of the season because dropping a couple of points there, I think, would have uh, really done us damage, and I think would have um, would have really given Manchester City encouragement. I mean, Manchester City would have been sitting there yesterday, having finished their game, watching ours, and thinking, you know what, this is our opportunity. Arsenal are about to slip up, and then when we make it two-two, they're probably thinking, well, we've gained two points on them this weekend. We've played Newcastle. They've played Bournemouth. Happy days. But um, in the end, it wasn't to be. And and not only does it galvanise us winning in that way, but I think as a as a team trying to chase us down, I think that would be quite deflating to be watching on as well um, or, or to be seeing from a distance as well. So, yeah, um, lots of ways of looking at it, I guess. But the main thing is we've got the three points and we move forward. Europa League game coming up on Thursday. Let me know in the comments if you'd like to see a watch along of that game. Um, I will be at home, so I'll be able to do that. We can watch it in each other's company. I'll bring you guys sort of loose commentary on the game and we can discuss what we're seeing in front of us. Uh, and uh, and then, of course, it's uh, back to normal service next weekend um, where we take on Fulham on the Sunday. Um, I'm going to leave you guys not with the outro this time, but with uh, the clip that I played at the beginning. Uh, to just For those of you that missed it on the live, uh, here's a listen or have a listen. Uh, to some snippets from the, the radio program that I was on yesterday where I was obviously very professional and very neutral in my uh, in my commentary. Here we go. I'll leave you with that, guys. Uh, from me, though, take care. Uh, enjoy your Sunday and I'll see you all very soon. Goodbye. The afternoon of live football that we've had. Arsenal have maintained their five-point lead at the top of the Premier League table. Just. Odegaard's ball in. Headed away, Nelson on the edge of the box, takes it on the chest, try, Bruce Nelson's got it! Bruce sends the place into Raptors! Arsenal are 3-2 up! Harry Simeu um, breaking our equipment briefly, but we got him back and uh, he was there able to tell us that Arsenal with uh, coming from 2-0 down and Reese Nelson with a sumptuous volley, getting the win against Bournemouth. Uh, well, there is a win at the Emirates. Harry Simeu. 
It's Arsenal three, Bournemouth two. Reese Nelson, the substitute, is the hero. What a difference he's made since coming on. It was a corner from the right-hand side, headed clear. Reese Nelson picked it up on the edge of the box. He took it under control, and with his left foot, he powered a finish home into the far corner. The stadium erupted. The staff were on the pitch. The cameramen were on the pitch as well. That should be the last kick of the game. Surely now Arsenal have won it. There it is, the full-time whistle. Arsenal have done it. That's what champions do. They've come from behind and won this game by three goals to two. Incredible scenes. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.